0: Just wanted to bring to your attention that post recording this episode i realized paul's article is there a command to gather in the new testament was written january 3rd 2021 which was well in advance of the james code pastor james code situation uh, consequently some of the questions i had posed uh, don't quite work out because I, I was sort of asking why he wasn't addressing some of code's positions so Obviously, my bad. I wanted to make you guys aware of that. Also, check out our show notes page for the article, uh, What You Need to Know About the Rest of Pastor James Coates by Wyatt Graham from TGC. Uh, just to be clear, that sort of represents uh, TGC's position a little bit better. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I didn't have that article during the episode, and my bad. Hopefully, you guys enjoy the show.
1: Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels.
0: Yo, man. Happy one-year anniversary to Two Weeks to Flatten the Curve. What? What are you talking about? Dude, it's been a year of uh, Two Weeks to Flatten the Curve. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's right. I was like in England around this time. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah, no, I was just coming back from Florida and all this... Like, people were, you know, asking me, how many people are wearing masks on the plane? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <But> like... <laughs> it's, Time it's, flies. Oh, man.
1: And, I mean, it, think about it. Like,
0: it was like eight months ago, we were talking about uh, John MacArthur and, and Nine Marks.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we
0: have a... Uh... Do we have our own? Can we say we have our own? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. We have the Canadian version. The Canadian. Straight up.
1: Straight up. We do. Well, it's on bread? That's, that's yeah, that's that's a good point. Because yeah, John MacArthur and Jonathan Lehman and Naya Marks and um grace to you. Okay, and then in this episode, um, we're gonna be talking about uh, Pastor James Coates um, in Edmonton um, arrested, but then we're also gonna talk about uh, Pastor Paul Carter. Uh, paul carter's article um in uh, tgc which is in conflict with pastor Coates, but then also we have uh commentary from pastor james seward inside (laughs) (laughs) pastor james seward uh from um um, maple avenue uh, baptist church so uh this 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 is going to be uh, interesting and and helpful uh, to clarify. You know where Christians fall on, on this issue, and it isn't just an open and shut case like some may think. So, for those of you who don't know what's going on in regards to who is James Coates and what happened, uh, Joel, you want to fill him in? Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I've got I'll, I'll put uh, two two articles from uh, Post Millennial on the show notes page. Um, but essentially, the headline of, of one of them is, so this is from February 17th, uh, Alberta pastor turns himself in after defying lockdown orders. Um, and I've got a, it's great. He's got a sermon from February 14th uh, that that is really sort of uh, the crux of, I don't want to say the argument, but sort of... Um, the first part of our discussion, will be talking about that sermon from from James Coates in contrast to, to somewhat of what Paul Carter says at the beginning of his article that we'll be sharing as well. Um, and so on the 14th, he preaches the sermon. On the 16th, he gets arrested or, or sorry, he turns himself in. Um, and this article really breaks down pretty decently what's been going on. Uh, he, his church was defying, you know, sort of the government order. Uh, i think in regards to capacity so their church came under fire for hosting more than 15 percent of their capacity in december and they were fined 1200 bucks uh and and at the end of the day their you know their position uh which we'll get into uh in essence um is that they're they're sort of um operating within their rights uh so he's now been arrested Uh, I think he has a he had his first bail hearing uh, and he's refused to accept the terms of bail, which would require him to stop preaching. And consequently, he's still in jail. I think he has a bail uh, or he has an appeal to that ruling uh, coming up. I think it's it might be this week or next week. So uh, either right before or right after this episode comes out. Uh, and so okay. it's an interesting case, uh, to say the least. And so we're going to get into not so much the legal aspect, maybe yeah, a little cause that, bit,
1: because that because that will definitely um, we're going to try to do this in two, uh, two takes. Uh, so we're going to have this one episode that's going to have more of a exegetical feel, and eccle- I, I should say—an ecclesiological feel, uh, meaning um, the, the the theology of the church, doctrine of the church, and then uh, hopefully we can follow up with um, with a legal. Uh, take. That is still Which, theological, uh, but legal.
0: But it's a, it's a little bit above our, uh, you know, our the legal stuff, you know, obviously you sort of need an expert to to, to speak to those things a little bit more uh, accurately. So we're, we're hoping to maybe do a, a follow-up episode on the, the legal side of things a little bit more. Yes, uh, for but... sure.
1: For sure. Um, so for the listeners to follow along, you're going to need your Bible. <laughs> you're going to need your Bible. All right. So we're going to talk about James Coates, and um and where him and Paul Carter differ on Romans 13, just in passing. And then we're gonna look at Paul Carter's um, article, which is the second point, Paul Carter's article, and the difference between the takes the different takes that uh Paul Carter and James C were take on Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. So that's where we're, that's where we will primarily be hanging out. And then we're going to, um, end with the question, um, is this persecution or confusion? All right. So, uh, okay. So let's, let's review, uh, James Coates', um, sermon, uh, before he got fired or not fired
0: (laughs) before he came under fire. He came (laughs) under fire. Uh, yeah. So So I, again, I'll have it in the show notes page. Uh, there's. You know, there's there's actually two versions. One, somebody sort of shortened it up and put it to music. Uh, it's called is, the sermon
1: jam, buddy.
0: Yeah, I know the sermon jam. Sorry, technical term. And then there's the full sermon. So I'll sermon jams that
1: uh, Paul Washer made famous. Uh, yeah,
0: I'll, uh, although Paul, Paul Washer is probably the one who who gives you know grief to pastors that preach to music, but that's a different conversation. Yeah.
1: Okay, so so Joel, what stuck out to you about that final sermon of James, Pastor James Coates?
0: It was something I appreciated because I feel like so much of the conversation about Romans thirteen is overly simplistic. Um his his focus, so without in his intro, he does a he sort of makes the claim that you know there's a this scenario is, is, a, is a broad deficiency within the church and he lays out sort of four deficiencies where he's only going to speak to the the fourth so he talks, says there's an aspect of deficiency of ecclesiology deficiency in our approach to scripture uh deficiency regarding the theology of persecution and and this sermon though was was focusing on deficiency of the view of government and he basically takes Romans 13, 1 to 4, and says, normally we focus on what our obligation is to to the governing bodies. And he he sort of flips that and says, I want to focus on what does this text tell us about the God-ordained duty of government. And so I really appreciated that because I think it's something that, especially in North America where we've been i'll say blessed for the last hundreds of years where where our faith is viewed has been viewed favorably by government whereas that tide is really starting to shift and and i think um this getting into to what is the you know biblical view of government is something not enough people have a perspective of what about you i mean i got a little bit more to say but but that's sort of the, I think what really stood out as what was different about his sermon in general.
1: Uh, well, was, well, I wouldn't say different. I, I, I would just say it was definitely on point. Mm. I wouldn't say it was like um, anything different. I thought it was on point. So the thing that stuck out to me was that he was uh, talking about um, uh, the God give, like, are all laws and ordinance of God? And he was basically making the argument that, you know, Um, not all laws are an ordinance of God, and so the church has to practice discernment. And then he pointed out to um, that that the state doesn't give you your rights and your freedoms. God does. And then he makes the argument that um, work, the 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 ability to the the right to be able to work is a right which is given to you by God, not the state. So when the state takes it away, it's a violation of your right. And then he goes on to say uh, worship as a right, and um, to live as a right, uh, and so it was. It was a pretty fiery sermon, um, very passionate, very motivational. Um, I I I enjoyed it actually. I thought it was pretty good. Actually, it was really good.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, th- yeah, I would say that too. It wasn't just you know, it wasn't appealing to my libertarian leanings. At this, it, it was it was a solid sermon. It was you know, I would say exegetical or expository preaching, uh, in in terms of the approach. Um, I think just to reiterate what you were saying, you know, he he basically made the statement that inalienable rights are derived from man being made in the image of God. And so, I mean, you spoke out about a couple of those, but if you look at, for example, in the Canadian uh Charter, you know, so our fundamental freedoms, which would be uh so this is section two of the charter, uh freedom of conscience and religion freedom of thought, belief, opinion, exp- and expression, including freedom of press and other media of communication, freedom of peaceful assembly, and freedom of association. You know, those things sort of resonate in general with, with the inalienable rights concept in the U.S. and their constitution.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: he Those derived from from being made in the image of God. Sorry. You yeah.
1: Say. And, and um, he made a point about... Um... The government is playing God I don't remember that where he said yeah the government's playing God because implicitly uh, the government decides who gets to suffer and so he's saying that the individual gets to assess its level of risk
0: yeah yeah so I mean to I think I so I got uh, some notes here and what he was saying is that it's it's the government's responsibility to protect our rights it is the the assessment of risks Regarding the virus falls on the individual, um, and so you know if he's saying, well, what should the government have done? It should the government should have focused on uh, educating people and enabling people in order to address or assess that risk, as opposed to violate the rights in order to manage the death rate. He said the death rate is the responsibility of God, uh, not the government. And and I think that's a... Most people would probably be like, oh, no, like... But no, if you look at the concept of our rights, these things are fundamental, right? Meaning, if the government's not doing them, they basically have no purpose. Like, this is the this literally the starting point. Of, now, there's some nuance that we'll get into, um, but I think that's where too many people sort of default to sort of what the, the U S government has is like the general general welfare clause. It's like, well, we need to make sure people are alive, or we need to make sure this we need. And I mean, you, if you, if you sort of allow that, well, the government's got to make sure people are okay or safe. Where does that end? Where's the limit? How do you, where's the line that, that sort of can be drawn through. So, um, I think the other really big thing he he laid out in his sermon uh, was getting into the concept of so Romans thirteen says uh, in verse two one and two it it speaks to the idea whoever resists th-, so this is verse two therefore whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God so he asks the question or he po- he says is obedience and submission the same thing and and so. He's sort of pointing to the fact that he's what he said was um, we can um, resist authority while being submissive, submissive to, or, or sorry, disobey the authority while being submissive to the authority. And civil disobedience, he said, he was saying the way you do that is civil disobedience while maintaining a submissive posture, meaning. I willfully submit to the consequences, which is what happened, right? He said he, when he got, he didn't get arrested. He basically, as the article I referenced, the title says, pastor turns himself in.
1: Um, It's funny. uh, So he basically comes out and gives a fiery sermon because I guess he knows he's about to get arrested. And now we're here and we're looking at the way how he interpreted Romans 13, and then we're going to compare it to how pastor uh paul carter interpreted okay so now i'm going to read just the intro from from the blog post from pastor uh paul carter and for those of you who don't know paul carter's been on our show before uh he was on episode episode 96 uh, that was in november and that was the sex gender race and denominations a conversation with paul carter uh actually that episode did really really well actually thanks paul thanks pastor paul <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> thanks so, for the downloads um, yeah yeah no um yeah no he, but you no, um pastor paul carter uh, is good people um so
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yo, uh, yeah
0: and, and that's where like if where we disagree or where we have some criticisms towards him you know it's you know, there's no, I'm not trying to throw shade here, but, you know, the, everybody is uh, has opinions and and those opinions are subject to criticism at times.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And of course, and of course, uh, and if, uh, you know, Pastor Paul, you're listening, you know, well, we can welcome you back and, and continue to sort this through. But anyways, uh, so based on his article, he says this, he opens up with saying uh, the current argument for civil disobedience runs something like this. The Bible commands us to gather for worship. The government currently forbids us to gather for worship. The authority of God is greater than the authority of the government. Therefore, we must obey God rather than men. The basic rules of deductive reasoning assert that if the premises are true and the terms are clear and the rules of deductive logic are followed, then the conclusion reached is necessarily true. If the premises stated above are true, and if the terms are clear, then the logic and conscience would demand that every church in this province, in brackets, not to mention several other provinces, close bracket, open its doors and welcome its members for public worship this coming Lord's Day. So, has the case been made? I don't believe it has. To be clear, I do believe that churches and individuals must be prepared to render ultimate obedience to God alone. However, in most cases, obeying the civil government is an aspect of our obedience to God, the Bible says. And then he goes through Romans 13, um, 1 and 2, which he affirms. And then he says, the terms in this passage could not be any clearer. God commands his people to be subject to the governing authorities to resist those authorities is to resist God. I would agree with Pastor uh Pastor Carter on on Romans 13, 1 and 2.
0: Yeah, so that's that's essentially why I quoted, you know, the part of his sermon that I did. Because I think it's an oversimplification, right? I think this is sort of the the part of I would almost call it a cursory reading of this text. Like it's something that frustrates me that i feel like so much of the discussion around government is is just like ignores what what most of coates's sermon was about which is what is the proper role of government right it's why he asked the question and you asked it actually you mentioned this from his he had asked the question is every government law an ordinance of god Well, no, and then his explanation was unjust laws are not an ordinance of God. And so, you know, the question that, you know, Paul, like Paul's addressed it, I think, in elsewhere, I don't know if it was in one of his, you know, uh, podcasts or something that I've heard, or if it was, I don't, it's not here specifically, um, but he sort of references acts as you know we must obey god rather than men right that's later on right so but what and and there's an aspect of well unless the church is being persecuted or told explicitly not to do something we're called to do and obviously that's where he takes the article later which we'll we'll get into about gathering for me it's you know he says god the the passage couldn't be any clearer God commands his people to su- to be subject to the governing authorities. And and that's also the other thing that I mentioned before, where he said obedience and submission are not the same. So I can, and, and Coates' point is, I can be disobedient and submissive at the same time. And, I mean, the, the question that I would say neither one of the, well, Coates sort of touches it, but but Paul doesn't really address it at all is, essentially are we called as as canadians are we called to be subject to government or the document that governs the document government right so the charter governs the document it doesn't govern the people it governs the government and if Coates, for example thinks or holds the position that a, a law is unconstitutional then arguably it's not even civil disobedience because he's obeying the Constitution, which is what arguably the government is disobeying. And so I think that that's something that the coach, I, I would say he's sort of implicitly mentioning or pushing towards. Um, but I would say this is something I don't see Paul at all address anywhere. And, and maybe, you know, um, I'm not saying he necessarily should have, but I think it's it's sort of uh, i don't know if straw man is the right word but you know paul's in essence not addressing in in my opinion the strongest arguments for when do we disobey government it's sort of a uh, as i said cursory or or simplistic approach to well generally speaking you follow the government okay well we're not in a general scenario what like we're in a very nuanced specific scenario and to some extent i think there's a lack of wrestling there i don't know what are your what are your thoughts um on on you know what paul's referencing in terms of romans
1: uh, well i think the romans romans 13 verses one to two that he references um is a minor point in light of his argument in light of uh hebrews chapter 10 verses Mm -hmm. uh, 24 to 25. So uh, either way where you fall, either whether you fall on, you you believe that, you know, Romans 13 is a mandate to um, obey the government or not fully obey obey the government. The main point that he's making is uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25, which is the point he's making is that there is no Direct command mandating large congregational worship gatherings on a seven-day rotation,
0: and 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 here the the see the problem I see now. Okay, if if I wanted to speculate a little bit, if Paul is aware of coats, if he's aware of the sermon coats preached, and he's in addressing that sort of in a you know. Uh, in a, in a component uh, sorry, his, his purpose is sort of addressing that. To me, that's the call to meet doesn't really go against Coates's position because Coates's position is, so when, and, and Coates said this in his sermon when he talks about civil disobedience, the question is how do we decide when it's necessary? And he said, there's three categories. When the government forbids what God commands, and when government commands what God forbids. And I think th- those one and two is probably Okay, but Paul. Would agree. P-
1: Carter saying that no, there is no command for that.
0: No, but here's but that's not those aren't the category he's using. He's using who, the who, third wait, who, sorry, category. Who,
1: sorry, who, sorry, wait, who are we talking about here? Coates or or, or Carter? Coates? Yeah, no, but 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 there's either three way, categories. Yeah, but but doesn't matter what categories Coates is using because Carter's not writing for Coates. Carter's writing well, for Carter. Okay. I, I understand that, but what I'm
0: saying is that if his articles is if writing and so again I'm sort of speculating, I'm questioning. If his article is, let's say, ignorant of Coates and his sermon, then fine. What I'm about to say doesn't necessarily apply. But if okay, he's a it doesn't apply. Well, well, but hold on, because I think the still the point is still important for the listener. Coates' position, and this is actually my position, that there's a third category. So the first two categories, my point is, I think Paul would agree, no, no brainer, no issue. The fir- for both, when go- when the government forbids what God commands, we disobey. When government commands what God forbids, we disobey. The third category is for Coates, When do we decide it's necessary for civil dispense? When government commands what isn't theirs to command, and this is where he spends mo- uh, most of his sermon is going into the God ordained role of government. And but, but but what does that have to do with with, with Paul Carter's Hebrews ten? So, and to me, it, it's it's really fundamental. So, when government and this is where actually I can, I would say steelman both coats and uh, Paul at the same time or Carter at the same time, I should say. So he says this. He uses this term. So government commands what isn't theirs to command. Dictating the terms of worship is not the government's juridic- jurisdiction that is the do- so this is what code says that is the domain of the elders pastor and Jesus or, or God so again going back to the constitution the freedom of rights both a uh, in the section I read before uh, so let me go back to it in section two of the charter Fundamental freedoms, you have, A, freedom of conscience and religion, freedom of association. So in the sense of freedom of religion, the government doesn't have authority to dictate how you worship. That is under the responsibility of the elders. And so in Coates's position, the government is... Making commandments in an area that is not theirs to command, and and so this is where what Paul is saying can be. And we'll get into it, but what paul's saying can could be completely valid in terms of Hebrews. It's irrelevant because the decision is at the discretion of the elders and the pastors. The question of whether or not you are to take the government's position under counsel versus obey goes back to Paul to Coates' position, which is government doesn't have authority here. So, and this I actually I would say this was my position on the MacArthur episode. What I what I I believe what I said was something along the lines of you could disagree with MacArthur. That it's not the right thing to do for your church, but you ha- you should be respecting that it's his church's judgment, that this is the right thing to do for them. Because based on their assessment of the risk, taking uh, a pause in gathering now. Now, let's remember, Coates paused originally in gathering and started gathering again, I think, when everybody else did the first round it was when the second round of lockdowns happened that the defy defying started occurring. So now what are your thoughts on what I'm saying there? Does that like, do you kind of see my position or, or sort of what I think I'm trying to posit- convey is, is coats position?
1: Um, Yeah. But the, I think Carter makes a pretty good argument um, at, at first glance because uh, again, like, we're talking scripture. What scripture um, are we gonna use that says that there's an explicit command for us to come together? And that's what Carter is arguing. Well, and and so
0: yeah, well, Car and, and that's where I would say for an elders t- so again, so if I was taking what Carter's saying, which we're gonna to get to in terms of, you know, is it is it what's the biblical value there or, or biblical accuracy, exegetical accuracy. Is it biblical for elders to say we think we should stop meeting so based on what Carter's has said I can and and whether you agree disagree or partially agree I would say it's it's biblical for elders to say let's we need to pause we need to take a break from meeting for whatever reason
1: yeah but Carter saying there isn't a verse for that yeah so the the <laughs> but but this is where it
0: comes down to the at the there is i would say that's actually part of coates's first part of his sermon which is that we have a that's actually coates would say that's the deficient approach to scripture so the and he what he said was scripture doesn't explicitly say is justification and maybe even a legalistic approach which is funny because Carter uses the legalistic approach on the opposite end of the argument. They both sort of reference legalistic. So, and and this is what, what that turns into. So unless scripture explicitly says something, I'm under no obligation to do it. And so Coates says, why is that deficient? Because it fails to recognize that God-intended implications of scripture are binding. So we don't need explicit. Implicit is sufficient. And And that, assuming you're looking for God-intended implications, requires a much more thoughtful and careful reading of Scripture. This is, again, Coates was saying. So, and he, and Coates would say, the situation we're in speaks both implicitly and explicitly to the situation. Sorry, Scripture speaks implicitly and explicitly to our situation. So, I would say that even Paul's argument about the explicit, can we make the implicit argument? and I would say corporate worship is pretty clear the need to worship is pretty clear and it is the elders responsibility to determine what that looks like for their church and so that's where I take issue because I say it doesn't matter that's like it doesn't matter if it's explicit or not it is the elders responsibility to determine what worship looks like for their church it is not government -hmm. Is that like, do you see where I'm going with that?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'll just read a bit so people can get some context into um, what uh, Paul Carter was saying. So he says, Put simply, is there a clear and unambiguous command to gather as a whole local church in the New Testament? If there is, then the logical argument for civil disobedience is this particular circumstance would be greatly advanced. The most frequently cited passage. In the attempt to demonstrate such a command would be Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. For maximum clarity, it is cited below in three literal translations. So I'll just read the ESV. And let us consider how to stir stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near right and so now he goes on to um, make an argument for the subjunctive um, and the idea of the subjunctive verb is that um, it's like uh, a suggestion or an encouragement so when it says let us consider it's a suggestion or an encouragement and um the the, the second part of the breakdown of how he breaks down um verse 24 or was it twenty-five? But within that section, he says, "the assembling together, or to um assembling together or um to gather, um that is um that doesn't necessarily mean church or the church." And so um, he's saying that the context now for that Hebrew passage is that um, the Apostle Paul uh, rebukes like an independent spirit of individualism. And so that's where he comes to the conclusion there is no direct command. If that's the best verse people use, there is no direct command uh, mandating large congregational worship gatherings on a seven day rotation. Um, and then this is where uh, we, we cue in uh, Pastor James Seward's response to, to that post. And he says, First, as it relates to ex Jesus. I don't think Paul's work was compelling. He makes a big deal out of how the command is a subjunctive and thus not actually a command. But it's what's called a hortatory or sorry, hortatory subjunctive, which is roughly an equivalent with a command. So follow the subjunctive that Paul was talking about was more like an encouragement, but Pastor James We're saying, "Okay, well, no, but the subjunctive is it also functions as a command, and so he says, so for example, the commands in Hebrews chapter four, verse eleven, and verse sixteen are hortatory subjunctives. If he is going to argue that any New Testament command is a subjunctive, is therefore not a command, he'll be in a bad." spot and so to to understand the fall the, the the train of thought that um pastor james was coming from he says uh so if you look at hebrews chapter 4 verse 11 which says and remember if this is a, if this is a subjunctive and we're, and we're being consistent um and it is um, chapter 4 verse 11 and it says let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, would you take that as um, just a suggestion, as something that you have the option uh, not to do? But no, it, it has a command field because this is something that that we should want to do. Uh, and the other verse that uh, Pastor Steve would is, is verse 16, and he says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need right yes like that's a suggestion but who would not want to do that because we're always in um a place of need and we we should always be trying to strive to the um to the throne so just being consistent with um how the subjunctive is used in the context of the book of hebrews um we would we would never look at these great encouragements or these great exhortations um these things that that have blessing for us to not do them uh and so and so he goes on to say uh pastor um see what goes on to say further he referring to uh, pastor carter Further, he, Pastor Carter, argues that the context is a warm encouragement to love and to not become distracted from what really matters. But I think the context of Hebrews is more clearly uh, Christian, or more clearly Christians who had started out strong but have become lazy and complacent in their faith, i.e., uh, milk not meat Christians. The fact that they are forsaking assembling as is the habit of some, is an obvious example of this. This passage is much more um, in the rebuke-corrective vein um, than Paul Carter um, implies. All that to say, his exegesis was disappointing. To be honest, I'm disappointed TGC published it for those reasons. Uh, Now, Pastor James goes into uh, the positives of Paul Carter's um, blog post, and he says, but Paul is much stronger when he quotes Baxter and explains that there might be times when it's acceptable not to meet because of some higher good we pursue. For example, I've never heard of a church disciplining a shut in for not coming to church when his or her health would be compromised by attending is such a person disobeying hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 to 25 i don't think any would anyone would say they are and this is the last point so even if hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 to 25 is better exegeted as a command clarifying how we live out the fourth commandment um it does not follow that it is always wrong to skip assembling i think paul's article tries to make this point but since it comes on the heels of his shoddy exegesis it's buried
0: Mm -hmm. And, and that's sort of what i was trying to get at when i said like I can sort of steel man both sides, right? So I think Paul's point that for a congregation to say or, or elders to say we, th- let's say, forget the government order for a second, we think it's time to pause. Like we think it's we need to take a break from meeting for the health of our congr- congregants is appropriate. Like that's a, that's a very valid position to hold. What I don't and I think I'm I'm totally in agreement with James that... If you read, let's say, all of Hebrews 10, what Paul's saying about 24 and 25 seems out of place, right? Like, I I agree completely. I've always sought this as, like, a rebuke for those who essentially made it a habit of stopping meeting with the church, as opposed to even trying to, you know—and that's where I think um, Coates is making the reference as implicit— as opposed to explicit Paul's trying to say, well, this is not explicitly saying X, but if you take it as a rebuke, you could make the argument implicitly. It's saying we are commanded to meet not even taking into the subjunctive component that you've, uh, and I'll put a, a a link in the show notes page to a a hortatory subjunctive that uh, C word provided to us. So, and just for the listener, all the stuff that C word um, that Darnell was referencing or quoting, uh you won't be able to find that that's in a private email <laughs> that's exclusive, that's, exclusive. That's, that's, that's i feel like dj clue man
1: <laughs> no shit no shit no shit no shit <laughs> yeah
0: that that's a a six sense report exclusive uh, although who knows maybe now after so so just for for the listener's sake there's no well there's no shade in the sense that uh we're not we're not uh Gonna, this is not going to be the first time that that Paul or or uh, let's say TGC is aware that that Seaward gave us a, a, his two cents for for uh, this show and, and for the conversation that we're having.
1: Yes, actually, you know Joel? Thank you for making that point. Um, because I think I think uh, Pastor Seaward sets a very good example of of how we're supposed to do things when we disagree with with people. So yes, uh, the guys at TGC know. Um, that this episode is about to air, and, and they know um, what Seaward's about to say, and so does um, Pastor Carter. So this isn't like you know, Pastor Carter's going to be like, "What? This guy's going to try to take me down?" And then it becomes a Biggie Tupac, East Coast, West Coast, Ontario versus or Brampton versus.
0: So how would you compare this to up. the nine mark
1: situation? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, you know what? I, you know how? You know how I'd compare it. This situation's more gracious. So shout out to um, Pastor Seward and and Pastor Carter and all the men involved. This one's more gracious um, um, in this sense. Not not to say that uh, Jonathan Lehman wasn't, um, but there was other parties involved. Um, Ad Robles yeah, and those Ro- guys. And- Robles. Yeah, Rob- I, mean, <laughs> I mean, okay. So
0: Robles is like. No, that's. It. I want to say very critical. He uses the term "Big Eva." And and I mean honestly, again, I'm not trying to throw shade, but like his criticisms of Big Eva, you know, this article hey, yo, it sort just, of resonates yeah, with those criticisms to some extent.
1: Yeah, and and that's and that's and, and, and that's his prerogative. That, that 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 that's his wave, and that's cool. Okay, so um, but I would like to add to this um to this point about um, what Pastor Paul Carter has said about uh, there's no. Um, explicit verse um but again you know we still even if there's no explicit verse just for me this is just in my head um we still have to look at what's uh implied and so it's helpful to see the the, the gathering so for example th- this is the strongest bible verse i can i can um offer uh so if you guys could turn to first corinthians chapter 11. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, just verse 18, and then you flip, and then you just kind of scroll down to 33 and 34, and this is the, in the context of the Lord's Supper. And so in verse 18, Paul says, for in this, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, right, right there. For in the fir- in the first place, when you come together um, as a church, so he's saying, okay, look, um, coming together as people in a community is church. And then uh, when you go to 33, 34, and this is after you know you break bread and, and you and you drink the grape juice. Um, if you're Presbyterian, it's wine, <laughs> but you know shout to Presbyterians <laughs> <laughs> doing their thing. Uh, so, but then when you go to thirty three, it says. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Verse 34. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And so you you see the comparison, like, okay, when you guys come together as a church, you, when you come together, you come together. But when you're at home, you're not the church. When you come together, you are the church to practice this. and 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 this is um the lord's supper is an ordinance of the church this is what makes church church because people will be sitting there okay you know ecclesiology 101 the the two ordinances that make you a church um and that's baptism and the lord's supper and communion and because we've been on a zoom church and on lockdown um you know we haven't we have you technically you can't do communion um while you're while we're apart because in this passage paul says well, you have to come together to break bread, um, as a body, right? Body body parts don't function apart. They they function together. And so this is the communion of community of the saints to come together um and break bread. So I think this is a strong passage that says not just coming together as a church, but that you can't do church at home on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and and that's and that's the importance that that the Bible's implying in in community. Yeah, and
0: I think you know the idea of community, communion, commune, right? Like there's there's a root word there about living together, and not just. I mean, you know, just just for sort of related, but like the idea of quarantine is biblical for those that are sick, and those you know, let's say who have been exposed to the sick um for for a time and and so in that sense like you know what you said earlier about you know the person who can't meet or or there's a reason not to meet right like those are all appropriate in in some context but to not commune as a body as a whole is take uh, if anything i would say should be of a weighty decision
1: okay so now when i ask you what's your two cents the two cents is what's your two cents on uh is this a situation with with pastor Coates? is this a situation of uh persecution or confusion and before you answer joel uh i just wanted to um so we're keeping score mm-hmm. so uh uh <laughs> so so where paul carter falls on the issue and i hope i hope i don't get it wrong but based on his article um Paul Carter is not saying that that the the James Coates situation is persecution. And based on the letter that Pastor Seward sent us, he's saying the same thing. He's he's, he's saying that, well, Pastor Coates is not being persecuted either. So, which is interesting, even though they disagreed on, on how Hebrews chapter 10, 24 25 was handled they would still um not say that pastor Coates is being persecuted so where would you fall on this um
0: so i would say uh i would sort of change what what you've said just slightly in terms of do they think po- pastor Coates is persecuted i would say i don't think i know either of their opinions but i do know that they don't think the church is being persecuted um so the idea of of lockdowns and and whatnot that are going on, they don't consider the current scenario to be persecution of the church.
1: Uh, well, I, I don't know. I mean, given given, I mean, if we exegete Seward's letter and yeah, okay, so Paul Carter now now, now now they can clarify. They could clarify after they hear it. But I'm I'm banking on what I've read mm-hmm. that those guys are saying. No, this is not yeah, persecution. Well, and that's where like what, I what happened from what Carter, I've what, what I've happened read,
0: to before getting arrested and all that stuff, there I would say I'm thinking of the church and, and I would say they don't consider what's happening right now as the church is being persecuted. In terms of codes, well, I, I, I just okay, yeah, I, in terms of right now his arrest, the fact the bail stuff would you say is being would persecuted. Say I don't have their opinion on that component of it. No, okay, what do you I think? I That's I I I your two cents. My, I'm, my I'm telling you what cents. their article
1: said. This is this is your show.
0: <laughs> this is your show. You give us your two cents, David. So, I think for me, um, I agree with Coates in that the whether the church is persecuted or not is irrelevant. But I don't, I don't think the church is being persecuted. But I don't think it's a relevant factor for whether the church should stay open or not. Unpack that. So it goes back to you know when does sort of what quote uh, Coates said in his sermon that I quoted earlier. It's the issue of whether the church decides to stay open or not is a des- it's a weighty decision that the- is responsibility of the elders. Should the elders consider, let's say, what public health has to say on what's going on? Absolutely. But the, as Coates said in his sermon, the risk of the virus falls to the individual, and as Christians. The risk of death is much less concerning than the risk of hell. And so the church and the decision to meet or not is of greater importance than the risk of death. Now, does that mean you should be commanding your high risk population of your congregants to come to church anyways? No. And I think Coates would, would agree. And I think all the pastors involved here would agree that let's say when the church opens up again, and there is no restrictions, it, they would, you know, as you said, the person who's a shut in because of, for health reasons, they're not going to command them to come to church to, to put themselves at a, at a high risk. So for me, the, whether the church or not is being persecuted I think is overly simplistic as a deciding factor of whether or not you, def- let's say, commit civil disobedience. And primarily because do I follow unjust laws from a from a biblical point? Am I supposed to be submissive to unjust law? And now it may not be unjust in, in God's law, but if if we're looking at Canadian law, i would suggest that the court case that's going to happen with Coates is potentially going to challenge the entire legality of the lockdown law in alberta so it is i i believe i i don't know for sure because because really it's in early stages but i anticipate it's going to be a constitutional challenge much like adamson barbecue in ontario his court case that he's fighting is going to be a constitutional challenge that potentially will repeal the entire Ontario Reopening Act meaning all tickets all lockdown laws are now invalid so that level of severity to the um, unjustness of the law I think complicates the decision it and this is what frustrates me about you know let's say Paul's article assuming it's addressing this issue on a a grander scheme it, it, it goes back to what I said are we submitting to the the government or the document that governs the government and if the government isn't following its governing documents does the church play a role in putting the government back in its place and I ask that, like, not knowing the answer. Like, it's, I think it's a question worth evaluating. To me, that article is of much more interest that I'd want to hear from Paul. Right? You want to make that case that it's not the church's place to take the government to court for having unjust laws? Okay, make that case. I, I don't see anywhere in the Bible you could say yes or no. Um, so, yeah, that, that's where it falls for me. I would say I think the current scenario um, is getting into the place of persecution, much like I would say what they did to Adamson or Adam Skelly.
1: Oh, so you're, so you're saying it is no, persecution. what they're doing
0: now. So the bail stuff, the fact he's still in jail because he refuses to agree to the terms that he'll stop preaching. To me, that becomes persecution. But the fact that churches are ordered to lock down inherently isn't persecution again do what's funny is like in his sermon he addressed it he's like so uh he uh, in a little little short section he's like we don't have time to break this out completely but he in his intro he talked about the four deficiencies one of the deficiencies was the theology of persecution so I'll just read sort of my quick summary. So he says we have a narrow and historically ignorant view of persecution. It's We consider it only persecution when it's directed specifically at the church. So unless the church is persecuted, we must obey the government. His response to sort of that perspective is obedience to Christ is the catalyst to persecution. But the previous sort of perspective is the inverse it's that we get persecuted first, and then we disobey. Or versus what he's saying is, no, it's obeying Christ is what's going to lead to persecution. And and the sort of punchline he made is, if you always comply with government, you'll never be persecuted. So, do I think him... I think it's his defiance of government that leads to persecution. So, it's what's happening to him after the defiance of government meaning i'm not going to listen to the 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 lockdown law because it's an unjust law that action is as again him and his elders have made the judgment that god is calling them to meet at this time so they are in conscious obeying god as a result then they become persecuted so it's the consequences, not the lockdown, that be, that uh, to me is where the question of persecution lies. And that's what frustrates me about—and and I would—I think that's Coates' position. And I don't think Paul's article represents that position at all. It holds the other position, which is if you're persecuted as a church, now you have justification to disobey. Now, what about you? Where uh, where do you walk the line on on this persecution or confusion? So I I think confusion is a good word there, because as you can see I'm I'm getting I think getting really well. You're confused. I'm getting really nuanced. I'm confused <laughs> that you know it seems like some people don't see both sides or or Coates' side. I don't think his side is represented. I don't think his position is represented, at least in in terms of the biblical arguments that I've seen.
1: Uh, well. You know, we have dealt we've dealt with this with these issues before, um with Christians and the law. Uh, I think back to our epi- our episode, uh episode fifty, uh the curious case for David Lynn, uh for the street preacher, street pastor, uh, not named Yavis. Um <laughs> David David Lynn, um, street evangelist, well known guy, and um, he got arrested um for preaching in um what was that neighborhood? Cap. Uh, oh, a, a town that, that's, that, that has um, a lot of LGBTQ um, going on and he got arrested. And the way I fell on that was I, I said they had a right to arrest him. Although a lot of people disagreed, I thought, and, I, <laughs> and David Lynn <laughs> disagreed with me as well. But um, I, I think it was right for him. I think it was legally right for him to be arrested and biblically right for him to get arrested. Uh, for you guys want to hear me explain how, why I thought he deserved to be arrested. Uh, you can check out now, episode fifty you, put in the show notes. I think you but,
0: were technically criticizing more so for his uh, what was it? His uh, uh, fi- what was it? The five boroughs tur- tour that he was doing. <laughs> Where,
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Let's yo just the guy. You guys have to go check out the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. I can't remember. That was a long time ago. <laughs> um, but okay, so from so and I still have to say is that you know on the six cents, you know we're going to keep a six hundred, right for the people not the industry. So my two cents is two things. First, as it relates to that, there's no clear and unambiguous command to gather as a whole local church in the New Testament. I would say, uh, it does not have to be commanded because it's expected. Worship is an inference we learn uh, from scripture. It's practiced and expected. Secondly, I would say that no, the church is not under persecution because of the extenuating circumstances of divine providence. So, um, God has caused uh, COVID-19, which has caused the world to go into isolation. So, we must have um, a good conscience before God, before we have one before man. And um, I'm going to reference Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 verse uh verse 23 because i think it's important to um to put to kind of align our thinking and so romans 14 verse 23 says but whoever but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin so in the same vein james Coates is acting in good conscience and is willing to take on the penalty for his actions as a pastor he's not he's not he's not practicing civil disobedience because the church of civil liberties have been violated so it's no longer civil right freedom of religion in canada is a constitutional right allowing believers the freedom to assemble and worship without limitation or interference section two of the charter of rights and i'm going to read uh from james seward's uh closing remarks uh from um his response and um i also note um i took a section out from the previous section um just because it was really long uh so so uh you know don't get mad at me james like yo man you you cut my <laughs> stuff man like nah I, I had to cut it for the sake of time um but but this is his conclusion this is his full conclusion and, and pastor seward says what should a church do in the face of a government enforced lockdown and he gives four um solutions and he says first the government does not have say over how anyone practices their faith this is both a scriptural and this is both scriptural and legal um, in canada and then point two second we should make a priority of meeting together Point three, in extenuating circumstances we may forsake meeting together for a season. Point four. Um, the effort should be taken to make sure nobody violates their conscience before God. See Romans 14. After that, different after that, different leadership groups of churches will land differently mainly because they'll differ on what constitutes extenuating circumstances. This should be welcome and expected. We shouldn't thumb our nose at those who land differently differently than us. Again, Romans 14. But we ought to be united that the government should not be fining or imprisoning people of faith who, on the basis of their religious convictions, don't do what the government tells them to do. I didn't land where Coates did. Further, I think him and a few other pastors I've seen who have been fined take a decidedly political and adversarial approach in their posture and rhetoric. I think this makes their theological position seem weaker. I actually think their theological position is fairly strong. So I don't, I don't like making heroes out of these guys our, or celebrating them as the only ones brave or manly enough to stand up for God. We can oppose how the government is treating them, oppose the infringement on religious liberty and the dangerous precedent, stand up for the Charter of Rights, but I hope we can do that in a way that doesn't make Coates' actions seem wise or prudent.
0: I mean, I think, I think that the second last paragraph, so... Um, or, or sorry, the part where he basically says, like, right after the four points, after that, different leadership groups of churches will land differently to me that was the point i was trying to make i think with the the john macarthur episode that that both positions can be biblically sound or or both positions are are reasonable
1: and we actually we did come to that conclusion
0: Mm -hmm. um yeah. And and I would just say, but, I think the latter part of that, and I think you disagree with me here, but where he says, but we ought to be united that the government should not be fining or imprisoning people of faith who, on the basis of their religious convictions, don't do what the government tells them to do. I think, to me, that leans towards, he might agree with me, that what's happening now to to Coates is is persecution.
1: Oh, okay, so, so, so it's persecution. To, well, no,
0: but again, I was saying to you, Pre-arrested and bail, you know, issues. The church is not being persecuted. What's happening to him now is persecution. That's my position. I this paragraph makes me think James might be there too, but it's it's not explicit. Yo, don't ice <laughs> Don't ice <laughs> I- <don't> I- <laughs> the No, I'm saying, words, based man. on these words because he's saying we should all be united. Yo,
1: hey, 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 hey. Read and reread. <laughs> so for the listeners, for those who and re-listen,
0: rewind re-listen and and give us your two cents Read, tell us what do you think I, i'm right do you think uh, darnell's right that that james d- this sentence doesn't support my position
1: oh my gosh <laughs> yo guys um let us know what you guys think um yeah this was good and um a special thank you to um uh to James Seward for um you know sending us uh, uh, his take on the issue and um but not just that more so just reaching out to the guys who we disagreed with before and i think that sets a good example of how we can um disagree with each other and be upfront about it and not be passive aggressive um and and i and i hope this sets a good example for us going forward for uh, pastor for pastor uh, for pastor, uh, uh Carter um uh, you know you're welcome back anytime to uh, unpack anything that we took out of context uh for the good people at tgc you know it's no love lost um you know you know we're all brothers and sisters in christ and you know we're open for conversation as well if we if we um misrepresented you at all uh this was fun uh for those listeners remember to subscribe Remember to uh, leave a comment, please, because it helps the show to grow. If you're loving it, pass it on to somebody. We really appreciate your support. And
0: and as I already sort of said, give us your two cents. Like, you know, what what are your takes? What do you disagree with? What do you agree with? Uh, You know, shout out to the listeners and and people on social media. Lately, we've been getting some good, uh, especially on the pulpit pimping. Feedback. Everyone's got their two cents. I mean, and that's not surprising. That's a pretty... uh, Pervasive Christian issue. Yeah. Um, and I mean even yeah. secular. But that's what you know. we do here. So I I want to give out another uh, sort of call, maybe even call to action. You know, right now we're trying to get a, a legal opinion. Um, but if you're a listener, you're a lawyer, you got that legal insight, you know, shoot us an email, six report at gmail.com. Back. You know, maybe we'll bring you on the show. Um, back. um but yeah, get, or reach out to us at Six Sense Report, Facebook, Twitter.
1: Yeah. And ayo, ayo, and shout out to Gideon who who posted uh, uh, the Carter article uh, in the in the CLS uh, What's Up chat uh, to mixing it up. So this is this is your response, Gideon. This is your response. We love you. Success makes change.
0: But you heard me. Does that make sense?